so Jay, Jay and I were talking there. We talk all the time about, you know, trying to hack social media. And Jay's like, you know all your podcasts and your reels? Do you post them on Facebook? And I don't post really my reels on Facebook. I post them on TikTok and Instagram. And I'm like, yeah, good fucking point. Why aren't I doing that? So what I'll do now, I'll say this to Harry and my stalker of 17 years. I'll say, right, go, first thing will be, go and get my 20 best videos on TikTok and the next 20 days we'll post them on Facebook and see if they blow up. Then get my next 20. So it's better to do it that way. What works, double down. And if something doesn't work, you've got to find out why and you've got to try and fix it. Yes, sir. Okay. So, so what you're saying is everyone's been banging on about getting an email list and you're asking me... Um, if I agree with everyone. Yes, I'll tell here's why. And I like, if I say anything that's already been said, forgive me. Um, at any point, YouTube can demonetize you. Fresh and fit, big brand, just got demonetized on YouTube. Andrew Tate, canceled on virtually every social media channel, lost 10 million followers. Um, TikTok, uh, Facebook, my Facebook lives would get tens of millions of views a month, sometimes more. And then my lives just stopped working. There was a clear algorithm change. Something changed. Maybe I got a shadow ban or some kind of black mark. You don't know. I, I talk about some fairly controversial stuff. So I'm, I'm, that's a realm for me that I have to navigate. But then also, an algorithm change could be that they're not pushing lives anymore. They're pushing reels. So what I, I said to my team, I said, these lives are fucking dying. And by the way, I was raking it in, getting thousands of members to my Rob.team membership from Facebook Lives. I've got nearly 10,000 members, seven, you know, eight quid a month, that's 80 grand a month, just from Facebook Lives. I didn't have to pay, and like, but nothing that's good lasts forever. And so then we started testing reels and, uh, and other videos. And now Jay's like, oh, they've just changed on TikTok where um, over a minute you get monetization and it's a bit better than it used to be. So I might start doing minute long TikToks now. So. In terms of social media, you're always moving your chess pieces around. But because at any one time, any of those could cancel you, you will lose all those followers. You won't lose your own email list. You own that. What kind oh, of work does your mum do if she's called Racy's Racy? No, no, no. <laughs> By the way, it's, it's not that end bit I've changed that. <laughs> yeah. It's portable. Your email address is portable. Right. And none of your social media channels yet, the future they might be, um, but at the moment, they're not portable. Uh, I, I've got 250,000 active people on my database, and I'm currently on Keep. We're moving over to Salesforce. I will just export those 250,000 contacts onto Salesforce. I can't export my 305,000 followers on Facebook into YouTube. You can't do it. So your email, email database is your hedge. So a couple of things, um, again, before we have a chat with Jay, is... Um, a really smart play is to build your social media and then use social media to fill your database and your membership site. So I, d I don't know if you all have a membership site or an online coaching program. So it, of the 14 companies I have and of the, say, nine different income streams I have, one of them is a platform called Rob.team. And that platform is only eight quid a month. And um, it's all about business and money and finance and social media and marketing and branding. Um, helps people make, manage and multiply more money. And for about seven months straight, every single day, I did a Facebook Live. Because I've been doing Facebook Lives for years. I probably had, 
At one point, I was getting 200 million views and downloads a year across my channels. At, at one point, it maybe it's maybe it's a bit less now, but it might be 100 million or more. And I'm like, if I could get 5% of them on Rob.team, that's a, a fuck ton of people. It's not always that easy because of the algorithms. But what I did was, and, and, and I'd been doing, like many people here, content for years, and I'd never done a pitch. I'd just do content and go, bye. And I'd done thousands of videos. And I, I thought one day, why don't I just, at the end of the video, just do a 60-second pitch for Rob.team? And, and like, it, it's just scripted. Join Rob.team. It's 22 pence a day. You can cancel any time. There's no ongoing contract. There's hundreds of hours of courses, resources, and masterclasses on making, managing, and multiplying money. There's Zoom calls every Sunday. We even have live meetups through the year. There's no risk. Join now. Type in R-O-B dot T-E-A-M. That's it. And I started putting that on the end of every video. And in seven months, I went from 3,000 paying members to 10,000 paying members. Now, I did it every day. What was it we were saying before about consistency? And did I want to do it every day? No, but I did it. So, what, seven months, 215 days. So, 215 videos, and I got six and a half thousand members out of it. So, at 10,000 members at eight pounds a month, that's 80,000 pounds a month. And here's the thing, I'm fucking so glad I did that. Why? Because three months ago, overnight, those lives didn't work anymore. But I managed to get six and a half thousand members of onto Rob.team from Facebook, and then those lives don't work anymore. That's why you build your email database. That's why you, you, social media is using you. It, you, know, you are the product, by the way. If you're not making money on social media, you are the product. You know when you go like this, and you go like this, and you're always on, you're being monetized. So the way I see it is, I'm going to monetize you. And I used to worry about, oh, maybe think, people think I'm being pushy. Or it got to the point when I was doing my lives where people would pitch it for me because they knew what I was going to say. And I was sort of worried about maybe th people thought that was repetitious. But what I do is different content every day, but the same pitch at the end. By the way, I'm not here to sell you anything. I'm just here to tell you stuff. But you can join Rob.team <laughs> for... 22 pence a day, cancel any time, no longer. But here's the thing though, if you want to learn how to do this for yourself, surely the best thing is to copy people who've already done it. And that platform has got nearly 10,000 members. Maybe it's got 10,041 now, I don't know. Um, I'm really glad I did that and that's why you build your email list. That's why if you've got your online programs, pitch them off of social media. Now, here's the thing. Most people are like, oh, well, you can't pitch on social media. If I go, hi, it's, if I started here and said, hi, I'm Rob, I'll buy Rob.team, it's eight pound a month. You're not going to do it. You don't know me. There's no trust. But if you do your content first and you pitch at the end of your content, oh, but Rob, I haven't got any followers. Well, fine, you might get one sale a day. One sale a day is 365 members in a year. At 10 pound a month, that's 3,650 pounds a month, every month, one fucking sale a day. You're telling me that no one in this room can do one sale a day. Do you know at three sales a day, you're at 10 grand a month in a year? Rob.team. I'll be, I'll be watching. Anyway, Jay, thanks for coming. Welcome. So um, I think Jay felt sorry for me. I was supposed to be on the main stage. I got put in the corner. And at one point, there were about seven people here. And Jay's like, I'll support you. I'll ask some questions that the fitness world might want to ask me, because I'm not really in fitness, and obviously Jay knows this industry better than anyone. So yeah, we'll just have a little Q&A session.
it's, it's always this thing with IFS, like you want to listen from people, you know, sometimes you get massive crowds of people done not much, and you've got people with like James Pounds, it's like, what room do I want to be? And you're in a very good room. 2015, I had the UK's top health podcast, and I was listening to another podcast, the guy to my left, and I managed to get him on my podcast, we recorded a great hour session, and I looked down, and plugged my fucking microphone. I had his voice, but not mine, so I spent five hours going through editing with my voice and then cutting it. He never knew that, I put it out, no one ever knew the difference, but that's how I met Rob. So I was too scared to let him know that we didn't record it again, that was eight years. I'd have done it again. We had one guy that just wanted me to do another one again, didn't we? Because they didn't like how to, I'd have done it again. But that's very nice but of you. It's just all my mentality about stuff, it's about getting Yeah, do it, getting it properly. Out, doing it properly, yeah. you know, this, that and the other. So that's how we met about eight years ago, and kind of gone back and forth with content, with podcasts. Um, I've got some questions for you, Rob. Um, and the first one, the deep one, before I go deep. 12 inches. Um, how you see money directly reflects how much money you make. And when I was broke, I saw money as the root of all evil. You have to be a drug dealer or a greedy, evil capitalist billionaire to make it. And that it was a, a tool and a force for all evil in the world. That it was hard to come by. Now, that's what I thought. Emotionally, deep down, what I felt was that I wasn't good enough or worthy enough. And it was convenient for me to say a story in my own head. Oh, well, you're just lucky. Or you must be pushing drugs to drive that Ferrari. I have eight cars. I have the cars I always used to think the drug dealers used to drive. And so I had this warped, twisted sense of what money really is. Now I write books on money. Money is a universal exchange of value. Money is a tool for leverage. There's some inventions in the world that I think have been pretty useful. The wheel's been quite a good invention. No one really has any fucking... Pr the wheel is the root of all evil. You don't really hear people saying that. So, but money is just a tool, just like the wheel is. And I learned, actually, money isn't good nor bad. It's a universal exchange of value. And if I give more value, I can make more money. I'm not better or worse with more money. I'm just more rich with more money. And what I used to think was, I want people to pay me more. I want people to notice me more. It's not fair. The government have fucked us. My industry is hard. Pete, no one fucking spends money in Peterborough. And I had all of these beliefs and I didn't realize the change had to come from me. And the change was, if I create more value and I have good self-worth to believe I'm worthy of money, then I can make more money. Um, and I believe that money is a force for good in the world. Like, you can't tip big without money. Can't help charities and the homeless without money. Can't look after your family without money. I've raised more than a million pounds for charities. I have my own foundation. Money, see, here's the thing. It's because people judge money. In Britain, because everyone judges money, you don't want to be seen to be mercenary like that because of how people will judge you. But what I learned was people will judge you anyway. So you might as well be fucking rich and be judged rather than fucking broke and be judged. Because you'll get judged. You drive a shit car, they'll judge you. What's that piece of shit? You've got eight cars, they'll judge you. Um, so you might as well live a full life. You can't live a full life without a lot of money. Because you can't do, especially with inflation, you can't do all the things that you need to do. So what changed around money for me was believing it was a useful tool that I was worthy of using and transcending judgment 
especially the judgment of others. Like for example, I, I, this just quick story. I think we might be nearly at five minutes. I want to finish. This is, I think this is the best analogy for what you think about money. And I want you to do this and just really think, because you could have a bit of an epiphany here. Imagine you go to the best street in your city where all millionaires row is, right? You're, you're driving there in your car and you stop outside the biggest house. Imagine this now. You've stopped outside the biggest house and you look. Now, imagine what kind of person owns that house. Have a think. I want you now to think about what kind of, is it like, well, wanker? Or you as an individual, I'd love to be able to see these on a screen because we would get 45 different profiles of people. Now, you don't fucking know who owns that house. You are imagining who owns that house. And what you think about the person in the house is what you think about money. And if you think they're wearing a suit and some kind of fucking yuppie, and that's what I used to think, by the way, you're always going to repel money because why would you want to be like that? So if I see, a, like for example, if I see anyone successful or anyone rich and a nice car, I'm like, they've got a story. They've hustled for 12 years or 15 years. I want to go and speak to them. There's something I could learn from them. That's what I now think because that's what money is to me now. So what you think about who that person is that you made up in your mind is what you think about money. That's what you've got to change. There you go. There's my five-minute TED Talk. So a mutual friend of ours, Dan Priestley, who, he says a quote that I always remember, is environment dictates performance. I live in Bognor where old people go to die. You live in Peterborough where old people do crack cocaine. <laughs> How do we become successful within our environments that we're in? Because as you said in, earlier on, you know, people in Peterborough only earn like £30 PT. When I became a PT, most PTs were charging. So how, how do you get out of that mindset within the environment for somebody who doesn't, who wants to stay in that environment? Yeah. And obviously I'm still in Bognor, you're still here, bro. Yeah. How do you get out of that bubble? Okay, so if, you're, if you've got any kind of online business, then your environment is the world because you can reach anyone in the world. So you don't have that issue. And if you want to stay where you are, and where you are is a little bit insular, then you need to use the internet and get out to the world. If you are where you are, and your, your, your issue is the, the kind of people and the quality of people, you need to scale your business beyond where you are. So you one gym, and then all of a sudden you've got a gym in every city in, in the country, for example. Or you need to get the fuck out. And a lot of, a lot of people, like some of you, I've got two kids, they're nine and 12, they're in school. My mum and dad are still alive, but they're, you know, they haven't got long left on this planet. And my wife's mum and dad are still alive, but they haven't got long, that long left on this planet. I own 340 properties in Peterborough and I have 1,350 tenants there. So I am pretty fucking stuck there. But most of you who don't have kids and don't have mortgages and don't have all that, you're not stuck where you are. That's just, it's just in your head. You, you, could, you can travel, go to Lisbon, there's no fucking tax there. So sometimes you get trapped in your own mind and, and, and you're like, you convince yourself you're in a prison, but you're actually not. And then the last thing I would say is, if you can't do it full time, at least do it part time. Get to events like this. Get in mastermind groups. Join Rob.team. Joe, I, I fucking drove three and a half, well, Harry drove three and a half hours here. So I'm getting 42 Rob.team members if it fucking kills me. Um, so get yourself out of your environment and go and hang around people. You know, if you spend enough people with time with people with money, you know, hopefully today you've learned something that's expanded your mind a little bit. Imagine doing that three times a week. So that would be my answer to that.
I think one of the things that fucks up the industry is that we all start in with the job title of personal trainer, mm. which immediately puts you off on the back from that word personal. You've done a lot of deep work with people like Dr. John Dottini. How does a personal trainer learn to detach themselves from themselves and the business? Because this is the hardest thing that I've seen with PTs who are trying to sell something and they say no. It disheartens them to feel that they're saying to them as in service. Yeah. Is there any kind of frameworks or strategy you can get someone today to think about to get out of? Yeah. So if you find personal training and this industry very personal and you ch take rejection very personally and that's holding you back, which is, you guys know, the Jay knows the industry inside out, so that sounds like it's a common thing. Number one is you can create a brand. And I told you about that in a, what, step three or something like that. So, you know, you're detaching yourself to some degree. So I have a company called Progressive Property. And sometimes people say they don't like me and sometimes people say they don't like Progressive Property. But I've detached me in Progressive Property. Progressive Property is one of my businesses. It, it, it's a reflection of me, but it's also I am an individual. So creating a brand can do it, number one. Number two is... Rejection is never personal. It's always about them. It's never about you. Like, I know what I am. And normally in my talks, because I'm normally in my talks, I get about 60% of people really like it because I shake them up. Maybe 30% of people are like, yeah, a bit shouty, it was all right, I, I, I picked up a bit. And 10% of people really don't like me. But I am being me and I'm sharing useful information. And I put a lot of effort into the last 17 years to be able to, to share this with you. So if someone doesn't like me, they don't know me. How can you know me after a 60-minute talk? It's impossible. So they're judging me based on their own... Pre if I say Andrew Tate, you're immediately going to think and feel something. But much of that will be based on what the media has fed you and your experiences in your life. And if you are a 35-year-old man or a 15-year-old girl, you're going to have an immediately different reaction to just the words Andrew Tate. So when people reject you, they don't reject you. They, their whole life is being put into this judgment about you based on... Are you Australian with a moustache? Uh, well, they, so, from, so I'm looking, I, I love cricket, right? And a lot of the Aussies have moustaches. And so I might think you're an Australian because you've got a moustache. It's just my judgment. I like cricket, and, and I'm completely fucking wrong. And what was it you thought about the person who owns the house that's really rich? So, look, I'll tell you, this will make people feel better, right? I've been writing my book, and someone um, in... Let me find it. I'll just talk a bit about dealing with critics and haters, because people, they really struggle with it. And I, I said to my um, stalker VA... Just go, and find, just go and pick a few of the comments on my YouTube, will you, and send it back. So I'm just going to read two little paragraphs, which, which, which is in the book. This is just things that people have said about me. Someone once called me a dick rider. And in fact, here's their full comment. Rob Moore is what you call a dick rider. Although dick riding has never been a form of transportation, he still seems to hop on for a ride. So that was some, a YouTube comment. I hope you die of rabies, bitch liquor. Why do you hide the fact that you're a gay cocksucker and the son of Satan? <laughs> Fucking hell. Like, I didn't, like, this stuff just makes me laugh. These people are upset, they're sad, they've got nothing better to do. I, I don't take that as rejection. It's not personal.
I quite like to be a bitch licker. Anyway, does that answer your question, Joe? <laughs> yeah, you just kind of inspired me to go on to uh, on to Amazon. I haven't done it for a while, but to go on and look at the um, the book reviews. The book reviews. Yeah. Go down to the one star, and then um, I remember just this one, and it was the most grammatically perfect this I've ever had. And I've got three grammar mistakes in the book, and I was like, "Fuck me! I wish you'd written this book." Mm. So much cleverer than me. Yeah. Unfortunately, that guy. We'll never write a book. No. Because he's probably that intelligent and that... Too I'm intelligent. Literally brilliant. Like, the way that he is verbiage or whatever. I don't even still want to Words. Yeah. But that's the kind of person that will literally write 100,000 words and never have the balls. I didn't actually notice until I published the uh, grammatical errors and the publisher said, do you want to take them out? Like, Just offer people 50 quid if they find any of your grammatical errors and then your readers become your editors. Job done. Yeah, so rejection is never personal. I had this problem with entrepreneurship because you know, I've done a lot as an entrepreneur. And there's lots of stuff you don't know about me that I've done that many would regard as quite credible. And as long as I could stand behind that, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, I've done this, I've done that, I felt like quite worthy. As soon as you took that away, it would feel, I'd feel quite vulnerable. What am I if I'm not an entrepreneur? I'm just a human like everyone else. And I found that difficult because I got all my identity from being an entrepreneur. So maybe a bit of help for you. Don't take all your identity from your work. You know, take your identity from other things you've done in your life, the kindness, you know, that you've done for people. Or, you know, re remember that there's a lot of things in your life that you've figured out. So I find that hard, yeah. I will just, no, we'll just stay, um, yeah. <laughs> We'll just stay. We'll probably get, should we get dinner before we go back? We, it's already fucked. We're always going to be really late. I think social media is more important than how good you are as a PT. Fact. Because being a good PT, you still need clients. By the way, you don't have to use social media. You can use paid ads. But would you rather get your leads for free or would you rather pay a load of money? Now, look, it's not free free in that it's your time. You know, and Jay's got a crew now and, you know, Harry's my producer. He's also my driver. So, you know, we've, I've got expenses. Don't get me wrong, we put a lot into this. We got, well, it's about 90% confirmed we're going out to um, San Francisco on Wednesday to interview Will I Am for my podcast. I've done a thousand episodes on that podcast. Um, you know, that, that's going to be a seven grand expense. So, why use social media? Because it doesn't have that expense attached to it. And it's where everyone's hanging out. Why, why wouldn't you? I mean, that's how you've built your brand. I know obviously you've, you know, you're obviously really credible in the fitness space, but you're known by everyone and you're a keynote speaker here because you've got a big social media following. If you had no social media followers, you wouldn't be on the stage here, even if you are you know, in the physical shape that you are. And Jay's one of the best at it. You know, you're really lucky that you know, people like myself, Jay, James Smith, etc. You know, between us all, we've done all right on social media, considering we're in Britain. Yeah, because it's obviously much smaller catchment. It's, it's everything, I would say. Everything. I, uh, I agree. Has anybody got any quick questions? We've got to wrap up now. What's your name, sorry? Lawrence. Lawrence. Hi, Lawrence. I missed the, uh, missed the start, so sorry if you like, covered this up. Um, you said you mentioned 70 of failing artists deep grand in debt. Well, what did you do to like, turn it around? Like, what was the kind of like, yeah. yeah, okay. So, you know, I didn't want to come here and go, hey, I'm Rob Moore and fucking look at me and look at what I've done and reel off my scroll of a CV. I think that's naff when speakers do that and they're 20 minutes in and they haven't given you any content. So I just came in and went, boy, content. Um, so I don't mind answering that 
that question. I'll try and do it as quick as possible. So in 2005, I was £50,000 in consumer debt. I was working in my dad's, dad's pub. Um, and I was also, at the time, doing part-time art. And I was making 200 quid a week and I was um, spending or had uh, paying out 300 quid a week. And I was probably only a few weeks away from, you know, just having to go personally bankrupt and start again. And when I was young, my dad got me working probably from age six and I loved it. I didn't really like school. I loved working better and I loved working for my dad. And my dad had pubs and bars and clubs, it, you know, made money, went bust, made money, went bust. Unfortunately, retired with nothing, but I'll come to that. And... Um, so I really wanted to be like my dad. But then I went to school and college and uni and I look at my life and I'm like, I'm, I'm nearly fucking 26. I've got an architecture degree that's completely useless. I've got all this student debt. What the fuck for? I'm, I haven't got any confidence. I haven't got any skills. I strongly believe if you want to be an entrepreneur, don't go to college. Self-educate. So anyway, on December the 15th, 2005, I'm in the pub working, pulling the pints, my dad's carving. And my dad just had this massive nervous breakdown. Like he's, he's got bipolar, he's had bipolar nearly 20 years, but this was nearly 20 years ago. The police got called, he was beaten up, arrested, sectioned, and for years he was in and out of hospital, and it was a fucking nightmare for my family, especially my mum. Real nightmare. And when that happened, I remember, because I was quite a good martial artist back then, I remember watching the police beat him up. And I was like, I need to fucking defend my dad here. This is just outrageous what's going on. But I just froze and I was just such a chicken and I felt such shame. It was such humiliation. I fucking hated myself. And I hated myself for quite a long time after that. And then in the end, it was a bit of luck and a bit of hustle. But in the end, I'm like, I've got to just, I've got to do something. And I didn't know what. And at the same time, the, 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 one of the galleries I used to sell paintings in, the artist, Sorry, the um, gallery owner, he's like, Rob, you should get into property. I'm like, well, I've got no fucking money. Sell, me more, sell more paintings for me and I'll think about it. And he's like, but you know you don't need a load of money to get into property. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? And he's like, there's a, there's a monthly meeting in, in Peterborough at the Holiday Inn. You should go. And you know what? For, for five years, my dad and other people have been saying property, property, property. Everybody makes money in property. I've got 340 properties. I make millions out of it. And I was like, nah, not me, bollocks, scam, bullshit, or whatever. And so I, so I went this time because I was desperate because of what had happened with my dad and how broke I was. Anyway, I went there. I didn't really like it. it was a bit, I'm, not a, I'm a bit socially awkward. I, Mike said to me, go and network with everyone. Don't just go there and fucking leave, which is what I would have done. So I went, all right, all right, all right. And I was handing out business cards like a twat. And I didn't, did not know what I was doing. Um, what do you do? I'm a property investor. I wasn't. I was an artist. Anyway, I sat at the bar and I'm like, this is bullshit. And there's this guy there. And I'm like, all right, mate, do you want a drink? And he's like, you know, don't coke. And he was a bit grumpy. And I said, well, what's your name? And he said, Mark. And this guy is now my business partner. He's been my business partner for 17 years, a bit like how I got my first VA. It was serendipitous. Um, so anyway, this is a really long story. I'm trying to keep it short because um, it's important. The context is important. Um, he said to me, um, Rob, you should read these three books. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Richest Man in Babylon, Think and Grow Rich. I'm like, all right. And I went and I read them. And I went back to his office the next week because I stayed in touch, which is something people don't do. And he's like, all right, Rob, did you read those books? And I went, yeah. And, it was, and we started talking about them. Now, I learned about five years later that that was, Mark does what he calls the test, whereas he recommends people books and then 
if they read them, he's like, there's something about this person. I didn't know he had a load of money. And he was like, fucking hell. It was, I surprised him because most people don't read the books. Anyway, he went to his boss because he worked in a property trading company and he said, we've got to hire this guy. And so, and I thought, I've got to fucking go and work at this place because like, they looked rich and property and like, I'm like, oh, this is fucking amazing. I'm a skin artist. And I'm like, but I felt like a real fraud. What the fuck do I know? Um, I didn't know he was rich. He didn't know I was broke, which worked in that moment. Um, and so I went and I was ready to pitch to say, right, I'll do, um, I'll work for free if you could pay me some good comms. And I, my plan was work in the day there, glorified estate agency basically, evening and weekends, I thought I could still do my art. Just before I said that, they're like, right, we'd like to hire you. You know, we'll pay you minimum wage for now. I think it was six or eight quid. Oh, that's better than nothing. And we'll pay you 500 pound a sale. I'm like, okay, great. And then I'm like, right. And I said to Mark, well, I don't know how to sell. So he started helping me and teaching me how to sell and getting me to listen to podcasts and audiobooks. And he sat next to me and he, you know, he, he sort of was his apprentice for a bit. Anyway, in that year, I got rid of all my debt and I made nearly 100 grand. And I learned how to public speak. And we went and set up on our own. And we bought 20 properties in that first year with his money. And then we bought 50 in the second. And then another 50 in the third. Like I said, we've got 340 now. But we've sold hundreds. Um, so... What changed was what happened with my dad and me taking life very seriously. Here's the thing I think in life. So I, I had this charity boxing match, 250 grand raised in front of 1,800 people fighting a guy 20 kilos heavier than me. That's all the accountability I needed to train fucking hard. And if you're struggling a bit with your results, there's not enough accountability there. And your dad having a nervous breakdown and getting beaten up by the police, that's quite a lot of accountability and motivation. So the problem for people is their lives are a bit comfortable. So look, I've written, well, I've just finished my, I'm, just, I'm on my 20th book. I've written loads of books on money and business. You can find them on Amazon. Um, and obviously we've got a good property portfolio. I've got a decent, my podcast's a thousand episodes now. I've interviewed some great people. Um, and that's where it all started. So um, I think what I would say to leave you with is, um, if you can game yourself to create this accountability whereby it's not nice to be a, a business owner, you fucking have to get, the, you have to do this. There is no choice. It's ride or die. Then you're going to succeed and you're going to succeed big and you're going to do whatever it takes. Too many people are too, too comfortable. And you know, you have to be careful to not get sucked into society's comfort. A lot of people when they apply for a job, they want a four day week, work from home, take the dog for a walk, sick pay, pension, I'm like for fuck's sake, come on get to fucking work. Um, so I think the world's gone a bit soft. Anyway, that's another story for another day. Um, all right. Patience. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>